Really glad to have you here today, and this week we had just all kinds of stuff happening. We had about 75 international workers with our broader family, the Alliance, and they were here for a seminar, and just seeing, meeting so many missionaries, maybe some are in this room right now, some are here for a retirement seminar as well, but uh, welcome to each of you, and so many volunteers from Grace who helped and, and uh, make a difference this week. Glad to, glad to have you here. I want to dig into a message today that has really, the truth of this has had a transformative effect in my life. Like it's really caused me to see myself differently. And that's true for countless other people. And, and so I want us to dig into what the Apostle Paul says, but let me start with this illustration. Imagine you're uh, walking uh, through the lobby here on a Friday night and you peek in these doors and you see a whole bunch of middle schoolers and they're watching a movie on the screen. But they're not watching just any movie, they're watching this R-rated movie that you're like, oh my goodness. And you tell someone else like, hey, is that the movie I think it is? Like, that's crazy. And they go, I can't believe they're showing that in the house of God. Scenario number two. You're here on a weekend and you see our young adults group. I'll take our singles groups. You know, last night there was like 100 singles that showed up for an event over at our Olmstead campus. Imagine you're, you're there and they're inside and, and they've got alcohols just flowing and people are having too much to drink and everything and someone comes by and they go, how can they do this in the house of God? You go, John, are you, what are you saying? I'm saying that Whatever you think about, the, and we'll get to the behavior in a second, they have the wrong address for the house of God. You go, what do you mean? Like, are you okay with middle schoolers and our youth group watching R-rated movies together? I'm, people having cake parties for young adults and having too much to drink? No, I'm not saying that. Nope, nope, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that saying that this building or any building where people gather is the house of God, we got the wrong address. And so I want us to dig in to what Paul says here because when we really grasp this, where the house of God is, we live in a way, wherever we go that's more honoring to Jesus, our lives are filled with purpose. There's a sense of the value of who you are as a person and who you carry wherever you go. We're talking about the greatest address change that's ever occurred in the history of the world. Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, if you don't have a paper Bible, check out the Bible app. You'll see that on the screen there. Want to just welcome all of you here uh, our friends, guys at Lorraine Correctional, I'm looking forward to being out there in about four weeks with you. And to many who are engaging online, glad to have you with us or listening to the podcast. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for digging into God's word with us. So here is a situation in Corinth, a thriving metropolitan uh, port city in Greece. You can see on the map here, you'll see in a second, that Ephesus is about 300 miles to the east. And Paul is writing from Ephesus. He's sending a letter to his friends in Corinth. And here was the situation in Corinth. The believers in Corinth, these followers of Jesus, had only been followers of Jesus for like three years when Paul initially came there. So he's writing to them three years later from another city, and he goes, hey, I want to talk to you about some things. 
And because they were brand new in their faith, they were in a culture that was really far from the ways of God. And the issue of sexuality was something that they were having a hard time getting right. And so Paul is writing to them, but he doesn't just say, hey, this is bad or that's bad or you shouldn't do this. He starts off with something about who they are as individuals and as a result, how they should live. And he gets their attention and ours by repeatedly using a phrase in this chapter six times that is this, don't you know? Don't you know? Do you not know? We looked at the first three last week uh, with Pastor Joe, great message, uh, a reminder about our identity in Christ. But let me just look at these. We talked last week about uh, lawsuits, and especially lawsuits between fellow followers of Jesus when they go to the courts instead of saying, hey, can we figure this one out? But verse 2, it says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? It's not talking about like St. Jude or St. It's talking about us. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are a saint. Look at the person next to you. Would you just tell them to say, if you're, you're a saint of Jesus Christ, would you tell them that? If they're a follower of Jesus, they're a saint. And he says, we're going to judge the world. Then he goes down to the next verse. He says, do you not know? Here's the second occurrence of that little phrase. Do you not know? Don't you know? We will judge angels. Wow. And then in verse 9, it says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now in the last part of the chapter, starting in verse 12, he talks about three more don't you know? And so let's start in the middle of verse 13 and, and read through the end of the chapter. Here's what it says. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that two will become one flesh, but whoever is unified or united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That last, don't you know, in verse 19, highlights the biggest address change in all of history. Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Even when we know about this change of address, it's so easy to slip back into our old way of thinking. Where is the house of God? So Paul says three times, he goes, don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? In your notes, I've termed it, that was then and this is now. Here's what we know about where God made his home among people in the period of history uh, that is referred to in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us that for 1,300 years, God's address was posted at the temple of Israel. So you read a verse like this in Exodus chapter 40, the last verse of Exodus 40. It says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. That was the tabernacle, this movable tent. And the glory of the Lord did what? Fill the tabernacle. 
That was God's address. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So that's where you went to see God. First, it was a portable tabernacle. They, they could pull up the stakes and move the tent. It was still very ornate. It was during the time of Moses, and they were going through the wilderness. And, and if you want to meet with God, you went to the tabernacle. You'd offer a sacrifice. And then a number of years later, you remember under King Solomon, uh, he builds this ornate uh, structure, the temple permanently uh, in Jerusalem, or at least until it was ransacked and burned down. And, but if you wanted to go and meet with God, where was the address? The address was the temple, right? It was a building, it was a structure. Prior to that, the tabernacle. And, and so that's why there was this devastation when the Jews experienced the Ark of the Covenant being stolen. Some of you have watched the new Indiana Jones and you go, is that like Raiders of the Lost Ark? That is the same Ark they're talking about. They don't quite tell the story the way the Bible tells it, but, but it's about like, where is the Ark? Like, where did the Ark go? And if the Ark was stolen or, if, or when the temple was destroyed, people were crushed because they were like, no temple or no Ark, no presence of God. So where do we, what do we do? That was then. This is now. Listen to the change of address. Again, here's what Paul says back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. God's address today is where he lives in in that blank, if Jesus is your Lord, you've put your trust in him. I want you to put your name. If you've got the paper notes from here, if you're online, you can type it on your device. God changed his address, and he lives in you. He lives in me. I put, he lives in Jonathan Schaefer. We might take that for granted today because we just go, well, that's, I, I sort of have heard this before, but this was a monumental shift for the people of God back when the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, comes. And do you remember what happens? Remember in the Old Testament when there was the, it says that there was a pillar of cloud by day and there's a pillar of what? By night. Fire, right? So you knew that the presence of God was in that structure of the tabernacle because the pillar of fire was right there. It was the fire designated God is there. Or you think of the burning bush. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes to live in his people. And what do you see above every single person's head? You're, there's the sound of a mighty rushing wind and there are flames of what? Fire over every single person's why did it, why do I do? Because that was the designation of that's the location of the house of God. God no longer lives, Stephen says, in houses made with human hands. And you know what the early unbelievers did to him? They stoned him to death. Like, how, how dare you desecrate what they viewed to be the house of God, but they had the old address. God no longer lived in a building. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, we have this treasure, the treasure of Jesus, where in, not in a building, we have it in 
and jars of clay. He's talking about their bodies. He says, God himself lives in you. So here, here's what took place. God's old address was in this ornate, um, you know, jewel-covered, amazing temple, a building. That was the house of God. Fast forward, and today, his house is where? An ordinary people like you and me who offer ourselves to him and say, God, whatever you can do with me, I'm all yours, and he comes to live within you. Do you know what that means? We've said it here a number of times at Grace. It means that each Sunday, you don't walk into church. The church walks into the building. You don't walk into the house of God. The houses of God walk into this facility. You are the house or the temple of God. Hang on to this because we're going to look at the implications in just a second. But it's because it's so easy for us to forget this. And Paul's writing to people who are like, I can do whatever I want with my body. And Paul goes, don't you know? Don't, don't you know that this body is the house of God. We so easily forget. Sometimes you'll, you know, maybe you've been to like St. Patrick's Cathedral on Fifth Avenue in New York, just this amazing ornate, you know, you walk inside and, and it's very quiet, you know, and your son is, you see this dad with his son and his son's laughing with his sister and his father goes, son, be quiet. We are in the house of God. <laughs> right? Or you see some kids running around, you know, at church and maybe something like this and someone goes, I can't believe they're just running around like that in the house of God. Wrong address. Wrong address. Not the house of God. That's the old address. It was a building. It was a structure. Today the house of God is where? Now, you might say there's times to be quiet when people are trying to have a conversation or maybe you don't run around because there's an 87-year-old woman, you're going to trip and she's going to fall and you don't want that to happen. But it's because of concern for other people, not because you're in some kind of a place that Paul says, don't you know? Don't you know? You, you don't walk into God's house. God's house walks into a building. You know, when we forget this truth, we can miss the implications. And so let's just see what Paul says. If we really, and it's interesting, when Paul wants to deal with the issues of their sexual, you know, going blasting through boundaries and guardrails and everything, he doesn't start and just go, Do you know, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. He starts with this. He goes, your body is a temple. It's the very house of God. Now, once you get that, he goes, if you know that, he goes, would you want to talk about the implications? So let's look at a few of the implications here. You'll see these in your notes. Number one, God's design is that your body be his house, the place where he lives. How I care for and use my body matters a lot to God. Why? Because God himself lives in me. This body right here is his home. Your body, if you put your trust in Jesus, is his home. And it's an awesome privilege that we actually get to have the very God of the universe, the one who created everything we see, the one who gave his life for us, says, I'm willing to come and live within you by my spirit. And here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. 
Verse 1, he says, I plead with you to give your what? Your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. He doesn't say give your spirits to God. I plead you to give your souls to God. I plead you to give your hearts to God, although you could say those are all included. But he says, I plead for you to give your bodies. In, in other words, I want you to give all of you, the entire person matters to God. Why? Because this body is God's house. It's where God himself lives. Wherever I go, he goes with me. I'm the house of God, and so are you. Secondly, you're the manager of your body, and you're responsible to the owner, Jesus, for its care and use. This past week, Mary and I met her kids in a national park, and now that we, there was nine of us, because we got kids, and they're significant others, and a grandchild, another one on the way, and so it's cheaper for us to get a, like a VRBO, Airbnb, so we get this VRB, a vacation rental by owner, and we can do our own food that way, and stuff like that. But let's say that my son-in-law, is like, uh, you know, he, he lines up, he's got his golf clubs in the house, real golf ball, and I go, hey, just, what are you doing? He goes, just practicing my drive. And he winds up, you know, and, 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 he's, and he's hitting real, what would I tell him? I'd go, oh, you, you can't do that. This, this isn't our, what? This isn't our house. Like, this has just been entrusted to us for the week. We're responsible to the owner, and we're actually going to be graded at the end of the week, if you've done VRBO, and how we've done. One to five stars. I want the five stars, man. And you, you, you just can't do anything in someone else's house if you're not the owner of that house, right? You can't start taking pictures off the wall or moving the furniture wherever you want or going, hey, let's just, that wall would be better if we painted it like green, you know? You have to consult whom? Consult the owner. When you recognize the question of ownership, it changes the way you see things. You're not the owner of this house. Listen to what Paul says here in verse 19. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. That means that when God is at work in the world today, he says, I want to use my hands, your hands are his hands to serve the people around you. I want to use your ears or his ears to listen and to love the people around you. He says, I want to use my heart to, to, to love. I want to use your feet to take you into the workplace and, and uh, your neighborhood to represent me wherever you go because you are the house of God. I am not my own. Would you say that with me? I am not my own. I've been bought at a price, the price of what Jesus has done for all of us, and he's bought us at this price so that this body belongs to him. I'm simply the manager of what he's entrusted to me. So my role and your role can be summarized in this statement in verse 20. He says, therefore, honor God with your bodies, honor God. If your body, if God owns your body, that means you'll only participate in the kinds of activities that please him. Now, if we had a lot of time, we could talk about a number of things like proper nutrition. For me, not eating too much ice cream, watching the cholesterol, why? Because this body isn't mine. My body belongs to him. I need to get sufficient rest. 
I want to exercise because my body, I answer to the owner for this body. But I want to focus in on what Paul zeroes in on in, in 1 Corinthians 6. And, and the emphasis is what they were doing sexually with their bodies. And so listen to what he says in verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside their body. But those who sin sexually sin against their own body. Another translation says, run away from, from sexual sin. Why? Why is he telling us that? Is, is it because God wants to heap on the guilt? He wants to ruin our fun? He want, no, it's because he loves us. He knows what's best, and he's saying, I want you to walk in my ways because my ways for you, the, the guidelines, the guardrails I've given you for your sexuality are how you're going to appreciate and, and enjoy that gift to the greatest extent. And I don't want you to use my body, God is saying, for things that are out of bounds. When Paul is saying, when you engage in any kind of sexual morality with your eyes, with your body, whatever, you're, you're doing it with the house of God. Paul says, we can't do that. You've got to run from that. If we're transparent here, um, like it wasn't just in the city of Corinth that they were, you know, bombarded with all kinds of sexual temptation. I mean, we, we live in an age where we're just, we're hit with sexual images constantly. We have so many opportunities to engage in things that are out of bounds with God. And in this room, and those who are engaging online, there's a lot of hurt, right? There's been a misuse of this gift of sexuality, and you've been maybe the, the victim of that. Someone took advantage of you when you were younger and in a heartbreaking kind of way. Maybe, you know, there, there was, you're living with someone who you'd say, I don't, I don't know if I'd call it a sexual addiction, but something's not right. Um, maybe you've, you know, there's been an affair, there's been, I, I don't know. In, in a room like this, in a time when we're gathered, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of pain, sexually. And, and God's heart, he, he's not here to shame or to say, what he wants us to find is to walk in his way. So how do you do that? Let me just mention a few things that are applications from what Paul says, and we can only scratch the surface here, but I also want, there's a couple things in your notes that can sort of point the way to like ongoing restoration and healing and, and help. Number one, commit in, in, in advance to say no to temptation, recognizing the poison that sin inflicts. It's how Paul starts here in verse 18. He, he says, flee. In other words, uh, know where you're most vulnerable to sexual temptation and, and just avoid, like run from those areas. Different translations, it, you know, there's a number of words, watch, watch out. So here's what I wonder, where would you say that most people, and maybe you in particular, are most vulnerable to sexual temptation? Is it alone at night when you're, you know, you're, you're by yourself? Is it turning on you know, the TV screen. Maybe it's when you travel and you say, I'm at a hotel alone and I'm in a different city and I feel anonymous and I've, that, that's a common one. Might be when you begin to drink and, and you begin, your defenses go down. Um, could be when you're sitting in front of the computer in an empty house. Paul says, 
know where the temptation is lurking and, and run, like flee, do whatever it takes. I love the passage in Job 31. Remember the guy who just dealt with so much crushing pain and devastation? He says in Job 31, he says, I've made a covenant. In other words, he's agreed in advance. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully. Even before temptation comes, you say, when I face it, this is what I'm, this is the response I'm going to have. It's a starting point. Um, in fact, there's a prayer in your notes, and it's going to be on the screen, that I, I would just love for us just to pause during the middle of the message and just pray this together and, and say, God, this is, this is what I want to do. Whatever, maybe you're seeing victory in this area. Maybe there's a bit of, you know, you go, I'm having some defeat or maybe a lot of defeat, but can we just, can we pray this prayer together aloud? Would you, would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Ready? Lord Jesus, I believe your word is true and that your commands are for my good. You designed sex as a gift for marriage, and from this day forward, I choose with your help to protect the gift of sex for that relationship alone. Help me to live according to your word that I may honor you and the people that I love. Someone might say, man, that's what I want. You might want to pray that prayer. It's in your notes. You know, grab a sit on the way out if you haven't already, and just say, I'm going to pray that every day. Something else, chase sexual purity, knowing your body belongs to the Lord. Here's what Paul says in verse 13. He says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. That means I belong, my body belongs to him. My body is meant for his purposes. I belong to him, you belong to him if you've, you know, if you've surrendered your life to him. You, let me just translate that into today's lingo. Is it okay to see any kind of movie? Should I put limits on the kind of novels that I I read, or the kind of screens that I, stuff I look at on the internet. Let me, let me say this, it's in your notes, it says this, whatever I do with my body, I'm doing in the house of God. Let that sink, let me say it one more time, whatever I do with this body, I'm doing in the house of God. Let me go back to the early illustration about R-rated movies that maybe middle schoolers are watching that maybe we think are inappropriate R-rated movies. You might say, do you not have a problem with that? The issue is that it's not just in this structure. Wherever I watch an inappropriate movie, I'm watching it in what? In the house of God. Whenever I do something with this body that I'm, I'm, that I'm, I'm looking at a screen, I'm, I'm doing it in the house of God. If I'm engaging with another person in an inappropriate relationship, I'm doing that with the house of God. And Paul goes, you're uniting Christ himself in a sexual kind, he goes, with the very house of God. It's why it's not just what happens in this building that matters. It's anything that happens in my body. I can almost hear Paul say again, don't you know? Don't you know? Your body's a temple. You know, if you're stuck, I, I've seen it so many times, I know in my own life, you, you can't do it alone. You need, to, um, you, you need the people around you. I've listed a few opportunities at Grace in your notes here, ways to take the next step of healing and growth. We have something called Sexual Integrity 101, Seven Pillars, Men's Recovery Group, we're launching a new round in September. We're working, a women's group is in the work as well. There's Keys to Recovery on Tuesdays, Galvanize for Guys on Friday evenings. We have 
uh, several counselors, you know, uh, we all have a measure of brokenness in our lives and maybe there's some kind of deep wound that you go, my parent left when I was like just a child and I'm, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Like I was so ignorant, I don't know what was going on. God understands that. You know, he, he'll work with your brokenness, but it, all, it helps to talk with someone to begin that process of healing. Or maybe just go, it was my own behavior. Like, I misused the gift. I knew what I was doing was wrong, and I, I just, you know, I was, uh, I've wrestled with a sex addiction. I had an affair. I've cheated on you. I've done this or that. You know what Paul says here? That I, I want to end with good news. Here's what Paul says in verse 11. I love this verse. It's why the gospel is just so amazing. He says in verse 11, some of you were once like that. In other words, you're using your body for anything. He goes, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God. How? By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That verb tense is huge. He goes, Yes, some of you, sexual immorality, that's who you used to be, but you are no longer. You're cleansed, you're made holy, you're made right with God. And what made the difference is what we celebrated in communion this morning, that Jesus Christ came into our world, took all of our brokenness on himself, and he's washed it all away. And we can be clean today. That kind of change in forgiveness, though, doesn't just, it's not like, it just goes like, all right, he died for me. I guess I'm, guess I'm good. I want to just close with the story of the prodigal son once again. Remember the prodigal son? He, he leaves his, the home where he's supposed to be, representing God the Father, and he goes out and just lives with zero boundaries, squanders everything he has, and he realizes after a while, I've made a, I've made a mess of my life. And it, there's this little phrase that says, he came to his, anybody know the next word? his senses. When is he forgiven? When, when, when does he takes one step back toward the Father and says, you know what? I've made a mess of my life. And he begins to take a step back to his Father and begins the journey home and says, I'd be better as a servant in the home of my Father. What does a dad do? Dad's on the other side. He, he's got his eyes peeled for that son, waiting for his son to come over the horizon. And what does he do? He runs to his son, and he goes, how dare you do what you do with your body? Don't ever let that happen. No, he, what does he do? He embraces him. He goes, my son, hey, put the meat on the grill. Man, we're having a party, right? And he welcomes him home, and he does the same today. You take a step toward your Father in heaven and say, God, I, I, I need to listen to the Apostle Paul, don't you know? I, I have not lived like this body is your temple, but I want to. All of us are in that story somewhere. You might be the son or daughter who's already come home and you're enjoying life with your Father in heaven and you're living by and large, you're walking in God's ways and you're living in victory, you're doing life with him. Or maybe you're not. And that little phrase that says, that's what some of you were, you go, no, that's not who I was, that's actually who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm really making a mess of my life right now. I'm, um, I maybe even call myself a Christian, but I know that's a stretch. Let me just ask you this. What if you came home today? 
What if you said, God, I'm bringing you my brokenness and my shame, and God, I want to I just acknowledge that this body is yours. From this day forward, my body is yours. It's your temple. And I'm not my own. So I will do only what pleases you. I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer with me. But before we pray, I just want to say, I really believe there's a spiritual battle in this one. And the enemy is going to do everything he can. He's going to say, are you seriously going to leave that relationship? That might be the only one you have. Are you going to join a group and make your stuff known to other people? Are you, he will do everything he can to hold you back. Let me just read what it says in verse nine of this chapter. I'm just gonna quote it. It's one of his do you not knows. Do you not know that the sexually immoral, and he goes on and says several things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You, you interpret that the way you, you know, but, but I think Paul's pretty clear. He's like, you, your body, you need to, if you really belong to God, you need to live and say, God, I'm not my own. This body is not my own. It belongs to you. God, I'm all yours. The good news is he'll cleanse us. He'll make us right. He'll give us a new start when we turn to him. I want to do that right now, give an opportunity. You're welcome to pray with me. And uh, you can pray silently as I pray aloud, but let's just make this prayer our own. You ready? He's listening for us today. Heavenly Father, today I want to come home to you. I've messed up a lot. I've sinned against you. I've hurt you and I've hurt others by my actions. Today I want to make a change. And so I ask you to make me clean Forgive me for every single stain in my life. And Father, would you make me a new person? I can't do it on my own, and so I ask for your help. Transform me. Use me however you want. Thank you, Jesus, for taking the full penalty for my sin and for giving me another chance. I owe you my life. I give it to you. My body belongs to you for your purposes. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In your name I pray. And everyone said, amen.